Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. The Late Show Poncho with Stephen Colbert. Welcome back, everybody. Folks, I am honored tonight to welcome a Nobel Prize winning nuclear engineer, peanut farmer. Ladies and gentlemen, the 39th president of the United States, Jimmy Carter. Uh, well, sir, uh, thanks for being here. It's nice to see you again. It's good to be with you again. Steve. How have Thank you been? You. Been fine. Thank you. you. You're, uh, you're an ex- extraordinary man. You're 93 years old, and am I correct at 93? Going on 94, yeah. Going on 94, okay. <laughs> you, you, uh, you, have, you have beaten cancer, and you are still, uh, you're still working to make the world a better place. Through the Carter Center and and through your 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 books, you've got a new one called Faith. Faith. And um, a lot of people will release a book um, as a trial balloon uh, before they run for president. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard about that. Yeah. Is there <laughs> is there is there any chance you're running in 2020? Because. We could, use, we, could, we, 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 could use, we could use a nice guy in the Thank Oval you. Office. I think there's an age limit. Oh, is there? I, I, I think there's an age limit. Oh, is it? Because I know it's 35 uh, to get in, but I think you can go <laughs> oh, anywhere you so. want. I think 93 is the age limit. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you are known to be a nice guy. You've certainly proven it. In um, You were the for, sort of the first president of the 20th century to have a career after the White House with the Carter Center and and your work with Habitat for Humanity and certainly eradicating diseases around the world. Um, But as president of the United States... You were the president after Nixon and Ford, and America felt like they wanted a nice guy in there because those guys, you know, Nixon didn't seem... He seemed like a, you know, pardon the expression, a, you know, a son of a bitch. And, uh, af- were you too nice to be president? Because people criticized you for your demeanor and you might say the, the energy that was brought to the job. D- does America want kind of a jerk as president? Oh, apparently, from a recent election, yeah. <laughs> I never knew it before. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, 
what do you think? What do you think it takes to 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 be president? What's the one one of quality that it requires to be a good president? I used to think it was to tell the truth, mm -hmm. but I've changed my mind lately. Mm -hmm. Do you think that you were criticized for telling truth to the American people? Uh, well, I I think I told the truth almost all the time, and uh, yes, almost I, all the time. I think I just got a uh, broke news there. When did you? <laughs> Not tell the truth to the American well, people. Well, my so. mother said uh, I used to tell little white lies. Mm -hmm. That's and what Hope so, Hicks says too. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one time she had an interview, and a woman came in to interview Mama, and, and uh, she said, well, "Oh, little white lies." So Jimmy does tell what little white lies. What is that? She said, "Well, you know when I, when you came in the door, and I said I'm glad to see you, and you look very nice." <laughs> so. Yeah, a little white lie every now That's and then. the level. That's the level. Um, uh, now, as an ex-president, have you? Do you speak to the other ex-presidents? Oh, sure. Ever? In fact, yeah. I'll be with two of them tomorrow. Oh, who? With George W. Bush and with Bill Clinton. Okay. Now, do all the ex-presidents feel kind of good that since Trump's in office, all of you have gone up the ranks <laughs> one notch? You've all just been pushed up one level there. I don't know about the rest of them. <laughs> but you feel pretty good about it? You pray a lot. Um, do you pray for Donald Trump? I pray that he'll be a good president and that he'll keep our country at peace mm -hmm. and uh, that he'll refrain from using nuclear weapons mm -hmm. and that he will promote human rights. So, yeah, I pray for him. Yeah. <laughs> how, how are the... Um... Thank you for your prayers, first of all. <laughs> Thank you for your prayers. Um, we do need them, but do you think your prayers are being answered so far? Well, uh, we used to have a pastor who would say, when you pray, God has three answers. One is yes, the other one is new, no, and the third one is you've got to be kidding. <laughs> so I'm not sure which one it is yet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Donald Trump's gotten in some trouble for some of the rough language that he's used, and people have criticized him for that, and I've certainly made some jokes about it. I've heard about that. Um, you've heard about it? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you got in a little bit of trouble back in 1980 in that campaign when it looked like Ted Kennedy might run. You famously said to a reporter, I will kick his ass. And at the time, that was... Unimaginable for me yeah. that a president of the yeah. United, any president yeah. that that would be he would say that to a reporter. It seems pretty. I didn't tame. say that to a reporter. I said it to a congressman, and he reported it to a to a reporter. So he threw you under the bus. He did. Yes. Who was the congressman? I won't say his name. He's out of office now. Okay, but still living. <laughs> yes, he's still living. <laughs> we'll find him. <laughs> no, but it was it was. But it was true, and I did. That's true. <laughs> that <is> true. <laughs> so you're not as nice as people think. <laughs> oh, my wife could tell you that. <laughs> You've been critical of sanctions against North Korea. Why, why is that? Why, why is the isolation, you think, a wrong thing to do? Well, because when we imposed sanctions like for 70 years against North Korea and, and that, about that long against Cuba, uh, we get blamed for all the things that go wrong in the country and it exalts the dictators. The dictators are already punishing people. They're already under duress and under punishment. Not enough food, not enough freedom, that sort of thing. And when we put some additional 
press stress on them, like not any food aid and, and to destroy their economy. It hurts the average person who's already suffering under the dictator, and the dictators control the news media completely, so they blame all of their problems that they impose on the people on us. So we get blamed in Cuba and in North Korea for everything that bad that goes on in the country. So, so it exalts the dictators and it hurts the people. So do you think, are you against sanctions for all countries like Iran, uh, Cuba, Russia? I'm against any kind of sanctions that hurt the people who already suffer under a dictator, yes. Okay. Um, well, um, the book is called Faith, A Journey for All. I, I, I often wonder um, w what the most important of the cardinal virtues is. And do you think any of them are achievable, faith or hope or love, um, well, without courage? Do you think courage is the most important? Because it always seems to me that all of them take courage to achieve. It does. I think love takes more courage, perhaps, than faith. Because we can't avoid having faith. You know, when we are babies, all of us have faith in our mothers, mm -hmm. we'll say. And we have some degree of faith in ourselves, right? And we have to have faith in our close friends or, or, or things that we cherish, like the truth or faith in education or faith in... America or faith in whatever country we live in, uh, faith in freedom. So we have faith in different things that we can't avoid, but it, it, it doesn't take any courage to have those kinds of faith. But it takes uh, courage to have love for people who are different from you. It has faith for, it takes faith of courage rather to have faith in uh, people that we consider to be inferior to us or enemies of ours. Of course, Jesus says we should, you know, love our enemies as well as our friends and, and have so-called agape love or self-sacrificial love, love for people that are not lovable, love, love for people that don't love us back. That's, that takes a lot of courage, I think. Have you been able to have that for your... <laughs> that is... That is the most difficult form of love, to love your enemies or to love the people who don't agree with you. How have you been able to find that for, say, your political enemies? I've tried to get rid of all my political enemies by forgetting about them or ignoring them. So okay. I, I, for a minute I there, I thought you had a hit squad. No, I, I can... I got rid of them, see? I, 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 think I love them where they are. Well, you know, since I've been out of politics, I've tried to get rid of those... Animosities that I used to cherish. Sure. And you've outlived most of them, I'm guessing. That's another secret to my success, yes. <laughs> well, just in case, sir, just in case you change your mind, we have a present for you. It's Carter 2020, still constitutionally eligible. This is for you, young man. Thank, Thank you. you very much. The book is Faith, A Journey for All. It's available now. President Jimmy Carter, everybody. We'll be right back. Coming up, President Bill Clinton. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand-new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. 
Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. What is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Tonight is the founder of the Clinton Foundation and the 42nd President of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, President Bill Clinton. Yes, sir. I'm glad to see you. Nice to see you, too. And I'm glad you got such good studio music. Aren't they great? I met Mr. Batiste a couple of years ago, and uh, I met his family in New Orleans. He did not tell me. <laughs> hey! We didn't have time. <laughs> well, you did... Uh, look, I knew... You, there are a lot of things you haven't told me. No. I, I save mean, it for air. I mean, <laughs> I knew that you were a devout Catholic. I'm a Catholic. I don't know how devout and, I am, and, and but thank I, you. I, and I know you must love this Pope, and I do, too, because I went to a Jesuit university. Sure. But... But... I bet even he doesn't have his own stained glass windows. <laughs> oh, he, he gets the has to wait till he dies to get and that. He, he may put it. He may put his picture in the dome of St. Peter's now. Yeah, yeah. This is very nice. This is. Um... <laughs> did you? Did you get any time with him? Did you get any no. time with him when he was in America? No, but I'm Neither a huge fan. So you're just kind of scraping the bottle of barrel with me tonight. Yeah, I have to settle for the president of the United States. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, B. You're, you're, you're my first uh, president to be here on the new show. Thank you very much. So, of course, now, now your big work, now your uh, big work is the Clinton Global Initiative. You guys just had your big meeting. What, what are you initiating now? <laughs> What's the next well, plan? Well, it was a very interesting meeting. We had... Um, you know, the president of Ukraine was there, the prime minister of Italy, the prime minister of Greece. Wow. We talked a lot about the refugee problems in Syria and spilling over into Jordan and Lebanon. And we had some really interesting commitments. Uh, Nestle's doing something I really like. They're, they're helping 7,500 farmers in Africa to produce a vitamin-enriched product. And uh, I do a lot of work now with my foundation, separate from the Global Initiative on helping these little farmers. And it's kind of like what happened to my family in the Depression. You know, you, you get them better seed, get a fertilizer, get their food, to, uh, their crop to market for free. And we've increased their incomes three, four, five times. People living on an acre of land. And so we're doing that. But th- there were a lot of good commitments. So we, uh, we started off, actually, with uh, the United Nations just promulgated these new sustainable goals, you know, development goals. Mm-hmm. And they asked us to be their first partner through a, something called the clinton Juster Enterprise Partnership to try to take 100 million people out of poverty over the next 10 years by distributing what we distribute now, consumer goods to remote 
poor people, place, people living in very poor places, and to add clean cook stoves, clean water, and sanitation. And nobody knows if we can do it, but we're about to find out. One of the things that, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the things that the Clinton Foundation is able to do is they, they create partnerships with both governments yeah. and corporations around the world yeah. to try to solve problems. Um, the Democrats uh, often get criticized by saying, oh, the government should take care of things. Now that you, now that you left office and are working with the Clinton Foundation, do you think that a sort of a private partners, private-public partnership is more effective than, yes. than large government programs? Well, it can be. But you really need a strong, effective government to do its part. Um, for example, we need more public health clinics in America to take care of people who live a long way from affordable health care. Mm -hmm. But if the health care bill hadn't passed with the Medicare expansion and um, mm -hmm. subsidies for working class people to buy insurance over the, uh, over the exchange, mm -hmm. then there would have been no funding stream for these clinics. So the best thing that works when you've got everybody working together, once in a while we do something with no government at all. Last year we started off the CGI with 100 tons of relief to the Ebola countries, you know, sending them their mm -hmm. medical supplies, and we wound up doing 500 tons with no government involvement, just 24 partners. <laughs> and it was the biggest, but, but that was an emergency. Mm -hmm. If... And let's take Rwanda. I want to do in these Ebola countries what we're trying to do in Rwanda, which is to build out their health care system so they don't need anybody else anymore. You train people and they can run their own system. And we don't take any money from the American government, but the American government started funding this when Hillary was still in office. And they're training people with 23 American partners, including 10 medical schools, six nursing schools, and all these other people. And bunch of hospitals. They're doing it all for 7% overhead. It's the least expensive development project we've ever undertaken, which means people in the audience, it's tax dollars go further. That no. I, we spend the money actually to do that. You work with people, you work with individuals and governments all over the world, also corporations. Do you generally get a sense that people want to do the right thing because there's so little dis there's so little trust of our government yep. now. There's so little sense that Washington can get anything done. Some people actually go there with the intention of getting nothing done because they believe the government's the problem. And get rewarded for it at election <laughs> Exactly, time. exactly. Yeah. Um, if the United States, or if the entire world, let's say, were in danger, if the aliens had a craft right over the North Pole, Okay, and they're going to incinerate the planet, but we have to send somebody up to say, here's why you shouldn't wipe out humanity. Here's why we're worth you know, having hope in. And we sent you up. What would you say to the aliens <laughs> to justify our existence? I would... <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure, sir. It sounds like an encounter I've had many times over the last 30 years. Uh, here's what I would... I would say what the great... Microbiologist E.O. Wilson said in his book, The Social Conquest of Earth, I'd say, you don't want to get rid of us because of all the species that have ever lived, in spite of all of our bullheadedness, we are the great cooperators. And we live in a planet and an increasingly in a universe that is interdependent. So we got to do this stuff together. And we're your best chance on Earth. If you wipe us out, what are you going to do if you get hit by an asteroid? 
Try to. If you can just hang out for a second while we get ready to do a commercial, but I want to come back and talk a little bit about the 2016 election. You might have some opinions on that. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back in a few minutes Sound with like President Bill Clinton. Rise and shine, football fans. Start your day the right way with Morning Footy, a podcast that covers every aspect of the global game. Headlines, match previews, analysis, interviews, culture, fashion, and plenty of banter. Join as we track the thrills and spills of Europe's biggest title races, the business end of the Champions League season, a summer packed with international competitions, MLS, NWSL, and much more. Subscribe to Morning Footy. We're here with President Bill Clinton. Uh, now, Mr. President, 2016 election is quickly coming one. upon us. Um, uh, who do you like for 2016? <laughs> and please try to be impartial here. Who do you think is most qualified to hold office in 2016? The lady I saw singing on Saturday Night Live. Oh, she was very good. Very good. Yeah. That Val woman was wonderful. Yeah. She was really wonderful. Made me want to take a drink with her. Yeah. <laughs> now, the chances that the Democrats will take the uh, House and the Senate are very remote in 2016. If we have a, de- a Republican House and a Republican Senate, we still have uh, a Democrat, for instance, let's say, Mrs. Clinton, in the White House, won't we still have gridlock? Is there anything to be said for one party holding all three branches of the government so at least something can get done. Because I think one of the things that's well, most frustrating to the, the, the general public is that Washington just sits there and sinks. Depends on what it is that gets done. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, it, look, when uh, the second President Bush came in office for the first six years, he had a Republican Congress and he was there. and. Uh, they went back to trickle-down economics. They abandoned my economic policy. We doubled the debt of the country. Median income was lower than it was the day I left office, even before the financial crash. And you know the rest. So it depends on whether you think that was good or not. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, mm-hmm. the, no, 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 like, for example, in this next election, something nobody's really started talking about is, I think the next president will make between one and three appointments to the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And it's a one-vote Supreme Court, one way or the other. You just got to decide how important that is to you. But I mm-hmm. think that w- one of the reasons that we have gridlock is that the, our party has, the Democrats, we have too many people who will only vote in presidential elections. They don't understand how important the non-presidential years are. That's when all the houses voted on, a third of the Senate, most of the state legislators, and most of the governors, and they redistrict the congressional districts. Mm-hmm. So the Republicans, I feel sort of bad for them. I feel John Boehner campaigned for all these people that gave him so much grief. Mm-hmm. But they're in districts now that they have reapportioned so that they're far more endangered being bumped off in a Republican primary for being too moderate than they are losing a general election for being too far to the right. And we, our side has to own some responsibility. We've got to vote every time they open the door, not just once every four years. 
And if we did that, yeah, there'd be some more Democrats, but the main thing is the Republicans would have a vested interest in having creative compromise. We all got to shoulder our responsibility. You know, Hillary wants to limit these black committees like you set up four years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yours was a joke, but I mean, the idea that we can have all these anonymous donors spend all this money on elections. It is... was a joke with $1.4 million, yeah. sir. <laughs> it was a very powerful joke. Yeah, that's right. Very powerful joke. But we, we need to do something about that, even if we have to try to amend the Constitution. I mean, it's ridiculous that the freedom of speech is the same for a billionaire as it is for a minimum wage worker. It's like the great uh, French writer, Victor Hugo, once said he lived in a country where the rich and poor were equally free to sleep under the bridge at night. And that's like saying the rich and poor are equally free to spend a billion dollars in a secret committee on an election. That's not right. The president... President Obama in the 2012 campaign called you Secretary of Explaining Stuff, okay? <laughs> Could you explain three things to me very quickly, okay. all right? I know quick is a tough word sometimes, <laughs> all right? The first one is, um, why do you think Bernie Sanders is doing so well? Because there are a lot of people all over the world that are really hacked off, that they think the system's rigged against them and the rich get all the gains. Mm-hmm. And in America, a lot of them believe that the Republicans have been rewarded for... They reward the people who go the furthest to the right, so the Democrats would be even more effective if they move further to the left. Why do you think Trump is doing so well? Because he's a master brander, and he's the most interesting character out there. (laughs) And because he says something that overrides the ideological differences. If you look at the first debate, a lot of those guys were competing for who could be the most politically correct Mm -hmm. in the answers. Trump says, okay, I've supported Democrats, I've supported Republicans. Yeah, I used to be friends with Bill Clinton, who cares? Uh, (laughs) I run things, and I built things, and you need somebody that'll go in there and fix it. And if they don't let me fix it, I'll just get them out of the way. That is, it it may have a short half-life, his campaign, I can't tell yet, but he's a master brander, and there is a, a macho appeal to saying, I'm just sick of nothing happening, I make things happen, vote for me. The third one is, uh, there's a rumor out there, and you feel free to dispel this. Did you call Donald Trump and ask him to run for president of the United States? No. No? Because no. No. that would be pretty smart, man. Yeah. Yeah, I get credit for doing a lot of things I didn't do like that. But I... Credit. I, oh, credit. I, uh, credit. No. He... <laughs> His daughter told my daughter that he had tried to call me, and I didn't get the message. Yeah. So I simply called him back. And I don't know whether he had ever intended to discuss this with me or not. And uh-huh. this has happened to you before, I bet. Uh-huh. I think by the time I got him back, he had forgotten why he called me in the first place, mm-hmm. probably. <laughs> but you he, never said, like, Iowa is beautiful this time of year no. or anything like that? Nothing not a like thing. that? I had a very pleasant conversation mm-hmm. with him, and it wasn't about running for office. Mm-hmm. I'm, so I missed a chance. <laughs> Well, Mr. President, I hope you don't miss the chance to come back again. This was this was a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much Thank for you. being here. Thank you. Bill Clinton, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing: if you want to see more of me, come to the Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. 
The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Enjoying this episode of The Late Show Pod Show? Then head to cohst.app slash late show or visit the link in the description to fill out our quick two-minute survey all about getting to know you. 